Good morning. Appreciate being with you all again and uh, uh, getting a little more mobile. Uh, I told a couple of the elders this morning I thought I was ready to dance if that became part of the worship. So um, uh, I am doing better. Thank you. Let me ask you again to open your Bibles to the book of Joshua. This time chapter 24 will review quickly chapter 23 in just a moment, but let me read for you chapter 24, beginning at verse 14. Joshua 24 and verse 14, Joshua has in the uh, preceding verses, he has reviewed the history of God's uh, amazing grace uh, to the Israelites, beginning with Abraham and to the point of their now being in the promised land. And now he speaks to them in verse 14 and says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord... Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And and they said, we are witnesses. And he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider together your holy scriptures, may the Holy Spirit who inspired their writings, now illuminate our minds and our hearts. Father, may we hear your voice. May we be challenged. May we 
be encouraged. May we be enlightened and by your grace. May we be changed or may we be deepened in our understanding of who you are and in our commitment to serve you. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I just want you to know that if I were uh, younger, much younger, and seeking a pastorate, I'd find Chattanooga Valley an appealing possibility. I want you to know that. I mean, from my lofty position up here, from my lofty vantage point, I see many young families, I see lots of covenant children, and I see several older members that I know to be wise in the ways of the Lord. Now, I'm not naive. I know, like every congregation, that you have issues and you have problems. But I can say with Joshua back in chapter 23, verses 3 and 4, I can say with Joshua, I see all that the Lord your God has done for you. I see the inheritance with which he has blessed you. Now, referring to Joshua 23, from which we did not read, let me, let me begin by, by surveying quickly that chapter. In that chapter, Joshua begins by rehearsing the good things the Lord did for Israel and his future promises. Then in chapter 23, verses 6 and 7, he calls upon Israel, he calls upon the people of God to be strong, to be very strong, to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. And he warns them, do not turn aside from God's word by bowing down or serving the false gods of the nations. Then again in chapter 23, now in verse 8, he encourages them. He encourages them, and it's really very, a very positive statement. He encourages them to do what he says they have been doing, and that is clinging to the Lord. And then in verse 11, he commands them to be, again, he uses very, to be very careful to love the Lord your God. Then, somewhat soberly, in chapter 23, verses 12 and 13, he issues a warning. He tells them, if you turn away from the Lord and if you embrace the ways of the godless, then the godless will become for you a snare, a trap, a strap, a whip. They'll become painful thorns until finally you will perish from the promised land. Wow. Then in the very next verse, in chapter 23, verse 14, Joshua tells them he's confident that they know, that they know, as I believe you know, they know in their hearts and souls the good things the Lord has done. But then, in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 23, he warns them, the Lord who blesses them will also punish them if they transgress his covenant by serving other 
gods. It's quite a chapter. My wife likes movies with happy endings. Joshua 23 would not be to her liking. And you may even wonder why Joshua would end his sermon, this this assembly in chapter 23, why he would end his sermon with such threats. Well, most importantly, of course, it's because the Lord inspires him to do so. He is speaking the word of the Lord. It's recorded for us in Holy Scripture. Joshua wants the people to understand, and I want you to understand. Now listen, Joshua wants the people to understand that the Lord is both loving and just. In fact, it is the Lord's very being that defines love and justice. The Lord is not defined by love and justice according to whatever your definition may be of love and justice. He is love and he is justice. We have 26 grandchildren. Amen? Okay. Well, my children, my six children insist that I'm not the man who raised them. They find me far more ready to overlook the faults of my grandchildren than I was willing to overlook theirs. Well, that's a grandfather's prerogative. But the Lord is not like me. He's not a kindly old grandfather. He's not one who, though grieved by how you live, simply overlooks your sinful faults. Yes, yes, please understand, he loves you. But please understand, he is also just. And being perfectly just, he decrees the wages of sin to be what? To be death. And being just, and being Loving. He becomes a man. He lives a sinless life. He takes upon himself your sins and he dies to satisfy his justice by paying the penalty, the penalty of death, the penalty for your rebellion against the one by whom and for whom you were made. Choosing to love you. He graciously blesses you, blesses you with the gift of faith, enables you to know and believe that He died in your place to satisfy His justice, and that by His death, He frees you from sin's curse and power, and He declares you to be sinless in His sight. Not because of who you are or what you have done, but because of who he is and what he has done. 
But now understand, and I think this is incredibly difficult for Christians to get a handle on. I think this is especially difficult for we who are independent Americans to get a handle on. Understand, you are not simply individual believers. You are also, by his grace, members of a covenant community. And here in Joshua 23, as I've outlined it for you, you have to understand that Joshua is not speaking to the Israelites as individuals. He is addressing them as the covenant community. And he's teaching. He, I should say, he is not teaching. He is not teaching that individual believers can lose their salvation. But he is warning Israel as a covenant community, Israel as the covenant people of God, that if they rebel against him, he will cut them off. And in fact, he did. Old Testament Israel is eventually cut off by the Lord. Why are they cut off? Well, in part because within their community there would be found individuals who chose to live in in open disobedience to the Lord and when Israel fails to to properly discipline those who who so live their rebellion, the the rebellion of those individuals impacts the community as a whole and eventually leads to their demise. Israel should have known that. I mean, Israel experienced a foretaste of such judgment during their 40 years in the wilderness. Often during those 40 years, they were judged by God. Why? Because of the rebellion of particular individuals. And the Lord's judgment upon them was not lifted until the rebellious were disciplined, were punished. This is sobering. This is the word of the Lord. Joshua is warning Israel that if they prove faithless to him by allowing there to be among them those who openly emulate the lifestyle of the godless, the Lord will punish them as a people. And if you think that that has to do only with Old Testament Israel, and I encourage you, read Romans 11. Read Revelation chapters 2 and 3. In Romans 11, Paul warns that if we as a people prove faithless to the Lord, he'll cut us off. Romans 11. And then in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Paul's warning is clearly illustrated by John's letters to the seven churches, many of whom are threatened by the Lord that he will cut them off. Therefore, realizing this is not a boy, I feel happy, and boy, I feel good kind of sermon. 
Therefore, I encourage you that you should be soberly asking. So what does the Lord require of this covenant community? Of you, his covenant people? We now look at what we've read. Look at Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Having, again, amazingly reviewed in the beginning verses of chapter 24, the story of God's amazing grace to Israel, Joshua calls upon the people to fear and serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness. Now, these words are for you. To fear and serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness. Let me ask you. We just don't like this. We don't like this question. Do you fear the Lord? Now, you may not like the word fear. You may not like using the word fear in relationship to the one whom you know loves you. But you know that the scripture repeatedly calls upon you to do precisely that, to fear the Lord. The writer of Proverbs teaches that the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. Psalm 130, verse 4. In that psalm, you're told, it's really an interesting juxtaposition of ideas. In Psalm 130, verse 4, you're told that because there is forgiveness with the Lord, you fear him. The fear of the Lord is the reverential awe that comes from understanding who he is. Look at Joshua 24, verse 19. Look at Joshua 24, verse 19. Who is the Lord? Look at this verse. Who is this God you claim to love and serve? The Lord, we are told, in Joshua 24, 19, is both a holy and jealous God. Wow. He is holy. He is separate from all evil. Before him, nothing sinful can stand. And he is a jealous God. He will not tolerate being two-timed. He will not tolerate having the love, glory, praise, and obedience that is rightfully his being shared with anyone or anything else. Now, those of you who are believers, I'm speaking to you. When you sin, as you do, when you sin by turning away from the Lord, by embracing ideas and ways of the, the ideas and ways of this world, embracing the ideas and ways of this world, and then excuse your sin by sort of muttering to yourself, well, I'm only human. You're not loving or fearing the Lord. Listen to me, believer. I know you sin. I sin. More than I would like to take the time to admit. We just had a time 
for confessing sin. Did you confess anything? We all sin. Scripture says if we say we are not, if we say we are without sin, Scripture says we're liars. We're liars. But, but, this is the amazing grace of God. But as true believers, your sin, you can't live with your sin. Your sin inevitably overwhelms you if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. And when it does, what do you do? You flee to the Lord in reverential fear. You confess your transgressions. You repent of your rebellion. And you cry out to him for mercy and for grace and forgiveness. And you do so knowing that he loves you and will forgive your sins and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Loving the Lord, your heart breaks when you know you've dishonored him by your words or your attitudes or your actions. And then properly fearing the Lord, you lose all sense of peace. You are simply not at peace until you are assured of his pardon. I know we've all had different relationships with our fathers, and if this doesn't fit you, I apologize, but this is my testimony. I loved my father. He's my hero, my number one hero. I was in awe of him. If I did what I knew I wasn't supposed to do, feared him. I was in awe of him. I hated to disappoint him. And I knew that because he loved me, he'd punish me when I disobeyed him. And he did. On many occasions. But I haven't got time to rehearse all those occasions. But I also knew that he would forgive me. And I knew that nothing could ever separate me from his love. You're to fear the Lord. You're to serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. Your obedient service of the Lord arises out of a sincere desire to serve the one whom you love above all others. As an obedient servant of the Lord, you faithfully strive in the strength he provides to live as his image bearer. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 15. Stunningly, there's so many things that stun me in these closing chapters of Joshua. And here at verse 15, stunningly, Joshua seems to offer them a choice. They can serve either false gods or the Lord. Now, 
This is my exegesis of the passage, okay? So you can either go with this or you can just write it off, all right? But I'd suggest in the light of the context of Joshua 24, that what Joshua is doing here is calling upon them to make an obvious choice. He's just, I mean, what is he doing? He has just rehearsed for them their historical experience of God's grace, and now he calls upon them, I would suggest, to make an obvious decision. He says to them, you can either serve the one true God who has so amazingly blessed you, or you can serve the false gods, you know, those gods whom the Lord has repeatedly defeated in battle. No, you can choose. You can either serve the God who you know has amazingly blessed you, or you can choose to worship the gods whose ideas and whose way of living is clearly a disaster. The bottom line, and with this I date myself, some of you will understand this, The bottom line, as Bob Dylan once sang, Bob Dylan, anybody? Bob Dylan? Okay, okay. The bottom line, as Bob Dylan once sang, you have to serve someone. And you will. And you will. You will either serve the Lord or you will serve the gods of this world. So let me ask you this, how's the world doing? How's the world doing? You can either serve the gods of this world and enter into the horrible mess and desperate confusion you see all around you, or you can serve the one true God who has clearly blessed you. And the choice, as I've suggested, choice seems obvious. Choice seems obvious. And I know many of you have made that choice. I know many of you with Joshua can say with Joshua, as he says at the end of verse 15, you can boldly confess, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I know that many of you vow before the Lord and before one another that as individuals, as families, And by God's grace as a congregation, you will fear, love, and serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness. Now let's look quickly at verses 16 through 24, which again I have to label as stunning. In verses 16 through 18, the people assure Joshua, chapter 24, verses 16 through 18, the people assure Joshua that they will serve the Lord who delivered them out of Egypt, performed great signs for them, and defeated their enemy. And then Joshua responds in verses 19 and 20 by saying to them, You're not able to serve the Lord. Why? Because he's a holy and jealous God. What in the world 
Is that any way to preach? You get people to make a public profession of faith, and then you say to them, you can't serve the Lord. What in the world? Why in the world does Joshua say such a thing? It's because he wants Israel to soberly understand one more time who this God is they promise to serve. He tells them, this God you promise to serve, this is the God who will not forgive your sins or simply overlook your transgressions if you choose to serve foreign gods. If you do, he will do you harm and he will consume you. Now, how do you like that preaching? That's Joshua. Joshua wants them to understand who this God is they vow to serve. He wants them to properly fear this holy and jealous God. So again, in verse 21, the people insist, we will serve the Lord. To which Joshua responds in verses 22 and 23, you are your own witnesses. If you're speaking the truth, then put away all the idols that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. So again, it's a difficult passage. I mean, did these people still have idols? Well, perhaps, but I would suggest, in light of the fact that back in chapter 23, verse 8, Joshua described them as a people clinging to the Lord. I'd suggest that Joshua is instructing them to demolish the idols of the nations around them. But whichever the case, in verse 24, the people respond, the Lord, our God, we will serve, and his voice, we will obey. So in verses 25 through 28, Joshua makes a covenant with the people. He writes down the Lord's statutes and rules, and he sets up a large stone as a memorial to what the people have vowed and as a warning of what will happen if they break their vow. It's a sobering passage. But it is the word of the Lord. And we are foolish if we simply say, I don't like this passage. It is a passage worthy of our careful consideration. Today, you will celebrate another memorial. You'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. With him and before him, you're going to eat and drink this meal of covenant commitment. I want you to know, I know that many of you do, but hear me once more. By eating this bread and drinking this cup, you vow before the Lord and one another that as for you and your house, you will serve the Lord, the one who died for you in payment for your sins, the one who rose again to guarantee you the gift of eternal life, the one who now rules over all, the one who will come again in love and in judgment.
So now listen to me. There's so many of you, of course, that I don't know. So if you don't, don't eat or drink. Don't eat this bread or drink of this cup unless you embrace him by grace through faith as your Savior, Lord, and King. And if you don't, then may today be the day when you first do. Choose who you will serve. The Lord who will richly bless you, the gods of this world that produce the mess that is evidently all around us. If you do own him as your king, then eat and drink, vowing before him and one another that you love him, that you are in reverential awe of him, that you will sincerely serve and that you will sincerely and faithfully serve him. And you know, you can make that vow as radical as it sounds, and it is a radical vow. You can make that radical vow knowing the Father loves you, God the Son has died for you, and God the Holy Spirit will equip, enable, and empower you to live as he commands, to live in the fear and service of the Lord in all sincerity and faithfulness. So this is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for you. May the Lord continue to bless you. May the Lord allow you to prosper. And may the Lord allow you to long continue as a witness to him in this place until that blessed day when he comes again. Let's pray. Father, teach us. Sometimes your word is hard to hear. Sometimes it's almost more challenging than we like but it is your word. And by the power of the Holy Spirit who inspired its writings, illuminate our minds and hearts that we might understand who you are and that our vows might be true and sincere. Father, may we serve you all our days. Father, use us for your glory. Use us until you have used us up in this world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.